All right, we're in our imprecatory psalms, and we're moving right along. We were in Psalm 52 a couple weeks ago, and uh, thank you to Vinny last week. He filled in for me, and appreciate that. And then Psalm 54 this evening is where we are. Um, this is one of those uh, what we call imprecatory psalms in that it is a call of God to <clears throat> intervene on the enemies of David uh, in this case. And that's what the kind of the word imprecatory meaning is to, uh, in the strictest sense, to call a curse upon. But it's really not a curse as we would think of that as the world uses it, but rather that God would uh, enact his justice and vindication and deliverance. And these prayers are often like that, or these songs, the psalms of uh, imprecatory nature. We've looked at these, and we come to Psalm 54, and uh, it is subtitled in your Bible, and it says to the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? And we'll set that up here in a minute, but let's read down through this psalm, and then we'll come back to the context of this. David writes, Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. And he says, For strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble. And my eyes, uh, my eye, excuse me, has seen its desire upon my enemies. Lord, again, we come to you thanking you for the Bible, thanking you for giving it to us in our own language even. And Lord, as we look down through these verses that are found here, Lord, encourage our hearts where we need encouragement. Reprove us where we need reproof. And Lord, may you always deliver us from evil. And we pray that in, Lord, and thanking you for your hand of goodness upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> Psalm 54, it is... That psalm that, uh, as it says there, the time when he was betrayed by uh, the Zephites, that was a region in Judah, and it was of the tribe of Judah, these men who lived in a place called Zeph, and it was there that David took refuge in a forest. And while he was there with his men in the forest, they came and betrayed his position to Saul, and they didn't do it just once, but actually twice they did that. Uh, we'll pick that up in 1 Samuel 23 is the context. This kind of gives you the, the setting of when David thought about these events, and he later would write a psalm. And it would be something that even to this day the Jews would sing. And so a very important time. 1 Samuel 23, verse 13. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, and so he halted the expedition. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness, and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. 
So David also, or so David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Then the Zephites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Hekeliah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there, for I am told he is very crafty. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. And so they arose and went to Ziph before Saul, but David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain of the south of Jeshimon. Now, that's the context, and you see where he's hiding out David is, and uh, it was a really a treacherous time in his life. He's hiding in the woods with all these men. He's been betrayed by the people of Ziph, and uh, then in chapter 26 of 1 Samuel, the same thing happens again. And just reading verse 1, it says, Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalah, opposite of Jeshimon? And that is the same thing. Again, he's being betrayed by people who he calls in the Psalm 54 strangers, but they're not strangers in the context like Gentiles, right? That word sometimes is used of people outside of Israel. These were people within Israel or within Judah, the tribe of Judah. And you have uh, that occurring where they are betraying David, the rightful king. And they go to Saul in that. And you see that kind of working in the, behind, the, uh, behind things. In the process, Jonathan comes to him. And Jonathan steadies his hand and strengthens him, encourages him. And I love Jonathan. Here he is, Saul's son. But he, he loves David, and he knows David is the rightful king. And he, he's a great mediator, isn't he, Jonathan? And he's, he's really there, and he's the one that, that warns David and tells uh, that he says that he will protect him as well. Well, looking at this psalm, there are three places in this psalm we're going to look at First of all, the starting point of the psalm. That's where David starts. And he talks about the danger from the enemy. The danger from the enemy. And that's something that David often wrote about, talked about, sang about. It was the danger from the enemy. He was always surrounded by danger, it seemed. David was one of those men that lived in a very dangerous world. There were lots that were out to get him. And uh, it's again. It's it's clear that when he when he talks about that, um, and I'll just 
start in verse 1 again. He says, Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. And I like what David starts right off. He, he invokes the name of God. Actually, he uses three different names for God in this uh, psalm. We'll look at those here in a moment. But he begins right there saying, Lord, save me, or God, save me. And he says, save me by your name. Uh, He's not just calling out in general, but he's calling out to the one God, the only God that can truly save and deliver him in that time. And he says, vindicate me by your strength. And that's that call to justice. That's sort of that imprecatory call that the psalm indicates. And I want to look at that because, again, three different words are used here uh, that are translated uh, in our English that that are the names of God or or titles of God. Uh, The first one found in these four verses, um, you have the word God, all right? And underneath that in the Hebrew is Elohim. And several places you see Elohim. He says, save me, O God. Hear my prayer, O God. And then verse 3, they have not set God before them. Verse 4, behold, God is my helper. And he uses that word Elohim. And we've touched on the names of God several times over the years. And uh, we've looked at that. Actually, we did a study on that, I think, either a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, but we did a study on the names of God, and we expanded a little bit on all those, but more or less as a way of refresher. You know, the word Elohim, it's a plural word that, that's how it's written. It's a plural word, but it indicates a singularity uh, as it's used in reference to the Lord God, all right, the one true God. The word Elohim sometimes could be used in reference to uh, false gods, okay, and it can also even was referred to, I think, in, oh, I think it's in Samuel. And it refers to judges. And they also, the word there is Elohim. And it means people of authority in that case. So you have to look at it in the context of it. But in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis one twenty six, it's the word that God uses to describe himself. And it says, then God, Elohim, said, let us make man in our image. And you have here really a a triune God. And I think the word itself carries with it the idea of a unity uh, among the Godhead. Um, Being a plural word which is used in a singular word context with with the Lord. And uh, we see over and over again where the word Elohim is, is used or the shortened version of it, El. Uh, and that actually comes from Elohim, and it's used in uh, various contexts like of uh, compound words to describe what God is like. And there's titles of God. For instance, uh, Genesis chapter 49, verse 24, and it says here, But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hand of the mighty, and the mighty God, it's, it's basically the word is uh, El Shaddai, Right? And that means God Almighty. Um, you have El Elyon, which is the God Most High. That's found in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Uh, El Roy, which is God who sees. That's Genesis 16, 13. And it's translated here in, in English, but it says, The Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. Okay, that's the word El Roy. 
And then you have the personal names uh, that are used. And sometimes, for instance, it's in, used in a name like Daniel, right? El at the end of Daniel is uh, El is my judge is the way it would be translated. So here's Daniel, the servant of the Most High God, and his name refer to the judge, the one true judge, high judge. Uh, how about Nathaniel, right? Nathaniel. Uh, gift of El, gift of God. Samuel, heard of El, right? Heard of God. Uh, Elijah, El is Yahweh or Jehovah, right? And that's Elijah. And again, the words there using two names for God. And then um, Ariel, Ariel is lioness of God. And that's a, a woman's name. Um, there are places in Scripture that use the conjunction with El. For instance, Bethel. Remember what that is? Beth is, no, it's, yeah, you're close. Uh, Bethlehem, you're thinking of his house of bread. But Beth is in there, meaning house. So Bethel, house of God. Yeah, and uh, so that is the name for God. How about Jezreel, the valley of Jezreel, all that? And that's God will show, or El will show, and he'll demonstrate. Um, Israel, there it is again, Prince of El, Prince of God. And you see that, how that's used. Um, in Mark's gospel, there is a quotation, In Jesus would have said this in Aramaic, and it is a quotation from Psalm 22, it's the very first starting of, of Psalm 22, which is a messianic psalm written a thousand years before Christ hung on the cross. It, it tells how Messiah would die. He would be pierced and he would suffer. And look what it says in Mark fifteen thirty four. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Elau, Elau, Lama Sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's using that word El and the derivative of Elohim. And you see that. David uses that term for God. And ultimately, like I said, it could be sort of a generic word that could be used for gods, like false gods or judges. But in the context of how it is used in, in the God of the Bible, he is the all-powerful, all-existent uh, God, the, the God who is most high, all of that. And uh, it really is a demonstration of his power. It's, it's, he's the sovereign God. And he's the one who made everything. Uh, and that word is the way he's introduced to things. And really, um, it's uh, this great power of God that shows in the name Elohim his, his basic characteristic of who he is and what he's like. Then he uses the term Adonai. Adonai is the word for Lord. And in verse 4 of Psalm 54... He says, Behold, God, Elohim, is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. And you notice it's capital L, small o-r-d. And the word Lord there is the word Adonai. And it, it, it means someone who is in charge of a domain. Uh, the English word is Lord. Okay, Adonai is the Hebrew word. And that would make sense if you think about it as uh, like the English system where there are lords and ladies, right? A lord is a, is a manager of a certain realm of a state given to him by the crown, and he has that title of lord. Now, he's not 
the Lord of all, right? But a Lord. And so it can be used generically or attributed to men and women. Well, not necessarily women in this case in that way, but it's attributed in that way in ancient times, Adonai. But again, in the context of this, it says, Behold, God is my helper, the Lord. And that brings back to the idea that he is the one who is, has all influence, all power, all rule. He's master of everything. And that word is used for that. Um, Joshua chapter 3, verse 11. That word appears there too. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. What's his realm? All the earth. And it's actually more than that. He's Lord of all creation. And that, that's everything. So indeed, he is, an, he is the Lord. And there are several instances as you look through that. And it's a term that David used uh, many times throughout his writings, um, including in, um, you see it in the accounts of Second Samuel and, and Kings as well. Those are uh, the, the term Adonai being used. And you'll see it in your English Bible, capital L, small O-R-D. And then there's the other term, Yahweh, and Yahweh or Jehovah, depends on how you want to pronounce it, but Yahweh is probably the way it should be pronounced. Um, Yahweh is the proper name for God. Uh, all those other terms like Adonai or the combination of El, El you know, Elohim, those are descriptive words that are used for the name of God, but they really tell us what he's like and what he's, his realm is. But if you want to know his name, he actually names himself and says his name was Yahweh. And that is in verse 6 of Psalm 54. David writes, I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Yahweh, O Lord. And you see it's capital L-O-R-D in your English Bible. For it is good. That is the very name that God gave to Moses when Moses asked, who, who can I say has sent me? Remember uh, Exodus chapter 3. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's Yahweh, all right? The all-existent one. It's translated that way, I am who I am. It's translated elsewhere, Lord, capital L-O-R-D. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. He is the Lord. And the, the Jews, when they gathered their their scriptures and canonized them put them into a bible what we call you know the the tanakh and the torah and all of that when they came to that word for yahweh they often because of the reverence for the name of god because they believe and as i do that is the exact that is the name god gave to his to, to moses and it's the name he'll be known forever by and they believed with such reverence that that name should be only spoken if it was spoken perfectly. And so they would refuse to say it. And they, to this day, an Orthodox Jew or someone who grew up in that practice of Judaism, they will often um, not speak it when they read the text. Instead, they will use the word Adonai, even though it's Yahweh. Because they believe Lord is a better understanding of the word. And you can't mess that word up. But if you said the name of God wrong, it would be blasphemy. So they take it very seriously. I think maybe we should take it more seriously, shouldn't we? But the name Yahweh. And I, again, I, if I mispronounce it a little bit, I don't think God is going to um, 
be offended by that in, in my understanding of things, but it is to be revered. And David uses it very carefully when he describes Yahweh uh, in that. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord, singular, Yahweh, our God, Elohim, plural, the Lord is one, singular again. Uh, I think that, again, shows the, uh, the trinity in the, just the gra- grammar of that phrasing. Um, it certainly underscores it. Daniel uses that term, Lord, Yahweh, in, um, even when they were in ex- exile. Daniel 9.14, Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us for the Lord. Our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And you see all these different uses of, uh, of that. And by the way, those are Yah- like Yahweh. Um, let me just get rid of that. Uh, the word Yahweh, like Elohim, can be used in a conjunction to describe further what God is like. And we looked at that this morning. We looked at Yahweh Jireh, right? Or Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides, right? That was the name Abraham used when he talked about the Lord, or the Lord will provide. Uh, Yahweh Rapha, which is the Lord who heals. That's Exodus fifteen twenty six. if you want that. How about Yahweh Nisi? Yahweh Nisi is the Lord my banner, and that's Exodus seventeen fifteen. Yahweh Mekadish, and that's the Lord who sanctifies, the Lord who makes holy. That's a term used in Leviticus, and in Leviticus twenty verse eight, and also in Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven verse twenty-eight. Uh, Yahweh Shalom. And you know what Shalom means, right? Peace. Yeah. And that's a traditional greeting among the Jewish people. Shalom. The reply is shalom aleichem, which is peace be back to you or on you. And uh, in Arabic, they say salam and salam aleichem. It's very close, right? The Semitic languages. And that means peace. Uh, but Yahweh shalom. Lord, our peace. Judges 6.24. That's the name given by Gideon to the altar he built after the Lord assured him he would not die as he thought he would uh, after seeing the Lord, the Lord our our peace. Uh, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord our God. And that's used. It was, matter of fact, used in the context here. Um, And that's interesting because it uses the proper name for God and sort of the generic name for God And in that. He is Lord of Lords, really is the way it could be said, Lord of Lords. Uh, this one is Yahweh Tzedkenu. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And that's the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. Jeremiah 33, 16 is the, where that appears. And ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ, who the one who became sin for us, we get the righteousness of God. Yahweh Tzedneku. And that is 2 Corinthians 5, 21. If you want a New Testament reference to that. Uh, how about this one? Yahweh Rohi, which is the Lord our shepherd. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. 
Yahweh Rohi. Yahweh Shema. And that's the Lord is there. The Lord is there. Ezekiel 48, 35. And again, that's the name ascribed to Jerusalem also in the temple where the Lord and his glory dwelt with the people. And they would have said Yahweh Shema. And it is also where the glory departed, right? Ichabod, Ezekiel uh, 8. And then Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. And that means um, the Lord of, of both angels and man. He is the one who is over all. And uh, in that. So those are just some ways that it's used in that. Anyways, that's the starting point. Danger from the enemy. And David invokes the very name of God in the middle of that. And I'm glad for that. Because uh, that's what we should be doing too. Is saying, God, by your name. And it, it, there's a lot of power in his name, isn't there? There's all power in his name. All authority given to him. And and. and just again the deity of christ is seen because you come to the new testament and in the great commission jesus says that doesn't he all power is given unto me all authority everything and and he tells him to go make disciples well if he is not lord he couldn't say that but he is lord all right so let me go back here um you have this turning point and verse four is the pivotal verse of this whole psalm it's a short psalm, and I actually, when I first came to it, I'm like, man, do I have enough in here that I can even speak to it? Because uh, J. Vernon McGee just skips over it, and Warren Risby doesn't have a lot on it, and a few others, and I said, well, there's a lot here. If you study it out, and can, it really doesn't dry up. Um, but verse 4 is a really neat verse. Look what it says. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. And I like that. Again, you have... Two names for God, Elohim and Adonai. And then you have something else that's in there too. Um, You have the word helper that is used. God is my helper. And anyone want to take a guess what that word is underneath it? It's a word I talked about this morning. If you were listening in this morning's message. And it was Ebenezer. That's the word. The Lord is my helper. Or the Lord has provided. Either way, like it's used sometimes in that context. And that's the word that is used there. Um, And that is interesting because here David goes back to Ebenezer, right? The Lord who is the helper. And I'm glad because we need a helper. Not just anybody that pledges help. I mean, Jonathan was there for him and said, I'll help you. But even Jonathan had a lifespan, right? And, and Jonathan couldn't fully protect David from his father, Saul, or from Jonathan's father, Saul. And, and, and yet God was his helper, Ebenezer. And I'm glad for that. And uh, that word is translated help or helper numerous times. And it is something that David is, uses often in his writings. Um, 1 Samuel seven twelve. This is where that word appears. It says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So it's translated right there in the Bible for us. As I said, David uses it numerous times. A few occasions, for instance, are are like this. Psalm 10, verse 14. And 
And I love these verses. And I apologize if I'm just rattling off verses, but I think the Bible is its best commentary. All right? And, and I know you guys are with me, but, you know, hold on. I always say hold on. And I, I'm glad I can put them up here because I don't have to turn to all these, right? But probably we should. Uh, Psalm 10:14 says this, But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief, to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the Ebenezer, the helper of the fatherless. Aren't you glad he is the helper of those that... Don't even have a, a great, great verse today for Father's Day, isn't it? Because some don't have fathers, or their fathers aren't with them anymore, uh, or never had a good father. And yet he is the helper to the fatherless. Psalm 30, verse 10. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my Ebenezer. Psalm thirty-three, twenty: Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our Ebenezer and our shield. Psalm 79 9. Help us, O God, of our salvation. That's Yeshua, by the way, the name for Jesus, salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins for your name's sake. And that word help us is that, again, Ebenezer, or the root of it is. Psalm 86, 17, show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, the Lord, have helped me and comforted me. And then he uses it three times in Psalm 115. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their Ebenezer and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their Ebenezer and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their Ebenezer, their help and their shield, right? And you see, again, the, the words that David chose for this psalm, obviously God inspired those words, breathed those things out, but, but I would say they're carefully chosen. And they, you could, I, I remember in Bible school, sometimes I'd have somebody come along uh, that, like, knew Hebrew, for example, had studied it in college. I've never studied Hebrew more than just in my Hebrew study tools that I have in my online stuff and my computer and my Bible and some books I have. But those that know Hebrew uh, and biblical Hebrew especially say that it, reading through the Psalms especially is such, it's, it's so, it's not only poetic, it's just so full. And the descriptive words that are used for God and throughout the, the Hebrew portion of the Bible, it's like that. And I, I sometimes wish I could understand those things as a heart language and yet, that's what David uses. Very careful words to describe what God's like and who he is and his character and, 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 and his authority. All those things are there in these seven verses of the psalm. And then lastly, you have the finishing point. You have the starting point, the turning point, and the finishing point. And the finishing point is a praise to the Lord. And that's so many of these imprecatory psalms do that. They have this kind of dark language like, God, you enact justice over your enemies, my enemies, you know, slay the wicked, you know, those kind of things. And it's kind of heavy, right? But then it isn't long, the writer has to go back to God and his praise. And that's where this psalm ends up. He says, he will repay my enemies for their evil, cut them off in your truth or faithfulness. 
I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. You know, that's a great psalm because when you look at it, or this ending anyways, again, he sort of invokes this truth where he says, he will repay my enemies for their evil. And by the way, be reminded of that. And I'm pointing back to myself. I look out of this world and I see a lot of evil. I see people with very evil agendas that are trying to do things and they, they're calling good evil and evil good. And, and I, I want to go out there and just stop that, you know. But I have to be mindful, though, that maybe I can play a part in speaking truth and pushing some of that back. Ultimately, it is God who will repay evil. And there's not a person that ever did any evil act that won't actually, they will, God, will, God knows it. And they don't get away with it. The only people that would get away with it are those that have repented and turned to him in faith and forgiveness. And he's promised to remove our sins. But evil. When Jesus said to pray in this manner, and he, part of that prayer is, Lord, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. That is a prayer that's not only based in the moment, but it's based in the future. Because he's going to deliver us from all evil someday. No more evil in heaven. And that's what he, he goes on to say that uh, in verse 7 where he says, For he has delivered me out of all trouble. I thought of that because David could not have been writing in the moment or about his moment. There is not a person alive today that could say that, really, that all trouble is gone out of his life. If he does, it's just because his head's in the sand. That's it. We live in a world that's dangerous, that has wars, that has diseases, that has death and destruction and all kinds of things and crime and it always will be there that way until Christ comes back and he renovates it by fire but listen David says he has delivered past tense delivered me out of all trouble you know our destiny is secure and for God it's a past action Someday we are going to be in heaven and we'll be able to, from that perspective, say he delivered me out of all trouble. But you really could pray that now, just like David. You've delivered me out of all trouble, Lord. And that's not just a sort of naive way of looking at life. That's, that's a truth that a believer can camp on. Verse 6 there, I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. I love that. And we looked at all those names of God. And when he wraps this up, he says, for it is good. That's ultimately really what we come to uh, with this understanding of who God is. He's good. He's good when times are good for us. And maybe like for David, he's sitting on the rightful throne that was his by appointment of God. Uh, But God was also good when he was hiding in the woods. And his own brethren from judah were conspiring to turn him into saul so that he could be killed god is still good and we are mindful of that tonight as well god is always good it sort of beckons to this verse in the new testament i end with this one hebrews thirteen fifteen. therefore by him that's christ let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to god that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. 
I love that verse. That's the ministry of a Christian. To continually offer the sacrifice of praise. What a joy. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word. Thankful for this psalm. And thankful, O Lord, for David who was able to write this and pour out his heart for us. And thank you for the very words you gave him, O Lord, that today, in this very moment, uh, we can draw encouragement. And Lord, I think of that uh, like Jonathan came to encourage David in the middle of that. Oh, how we need people like Jonathan. How we need people like Barnabas, who, who would go out and seek out Saul and encourage Saul of Tarsus, that Saul, and whose name would be later Paul, the apostle. Thank you for such people that are able to strengthen and encourage. And Lord, help us to be such people also. We commit our ways to you in thanksgiving tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.